You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. I'm your host, Kevin Schmidlin, and today I'm talking with Philadelphia basketball legend, Fran Dunphy. Fran has been the head coach of Temple University's men's basketball team since 2006, and before that, he spent 16 years as the head coach at Penn. He's earned an MBA from Villanova, and he started his college basketball days as a player and then assistant coach at LaSalle. This 40-plus year career spanning all over Philadelphia's universities has earned him the nickname Mr. Big Five, which, when you hear this conversation, makes a lot of sense. When you join the Big Five, you know you've joined something unique. Your personality is not going to dominate over what has already been established. What is a real tribute to Philadelphia is we are still doing it. We'll hear about the challenges a college coach faces in helping their players balance the grind of earning a degree with the pressures of the national spotlight. When Mark didn't do so well, it was plastered all over the the news media. Now, Mark did very, very well, and you know what was in the Inquirer, the Daily News, and Comcast Sportsnet on the ticker of ESPN? Absolutely nothing. And we'll hear how Coach really had no plans on making a career out of coaching at first, and his philosophy on just taking life as it comes. We're oftentimes busy trying to make things happen, and the reality is things are happening around you all the time, and if you pay attention to them, then you're going to you're going to follow a different path. All this and more about Coach Dunphy, Big Five Basketball, and what it all means for Philadelphia right now here on Philly Who. I'm your host, Kevin Schmidlin. Stay tuned. So for those of you who aren't privy to the college basketball scene, Philadelphia has a pretty unique thing going on with what we call the Big Five. The Big Five schools are Temple, Gowals, Penn, St. Joe's, LaSalle, and recent winner of the NCAA National Championship, Villanova. Every year, these five teams get together, play a round-robin tournament, and crown one of them the champion of Philadelphia. Now, Coach Dunphy has either studied, coached, or played at four of these five schools. And along the way, as a coach, he's collected 13 conference championships, 16 appearances in the NCAA tournament, aka March Madness, and over 500 victories. What's remarkable about Coach, though, is that throughout his success in college basketball and the fame and celebrity that comes with it, his number one priority has always been helping others. He's the only Division I men's basketball coach that actually teaches a class to students at the college where he coaches. He's also very active in the Philadelphia community, raising money through the Coaches vs. Cancer Foundation, being heavily involved in Big Brothers Big Sisters, and just being a caring and approachable guy. He attributes this outlook to a time before coaching, before he was a player at LaSalle, even before he played in high school at Malvern Prep. To him, it all goes back to his time as a child in South Philly and the example set by his father. He was a child of the Depression. So he was born in 1921. The the Depression hits in 1929. and, And it was really a tough time in America in those days, tough time in Philadelphia. And he figured out how to get along and how to get by and, uh, didn't go back to school very much, if, if anything, and but taught himself how to read and write and communicate and really, but what he taught all of us and specifically my, my brother and sisters that uh, 
you know, be good to one another. Be good to one another and be give whatever you can. Whatever he had was yours. Uh, we led the country in people coming to our house for lunches or dinners, and it was wonderful. That's you'd sit around the dining room table, and and uh, we just got along with one another, and we still do today, which is a, a wonderful part of who I am, I think. Uh, and uh, as I am often to say about my father and his generation and, and the way we grew up, nobody had anything. You, you had nothing, really. But you know what? You had enough, and we had each other, and that's all that mattered. So how have you, in a career of coaching and teaching, applied the lessons he taught you growing up? Well, I think just getting along with other people and, and take your work really, really seriously. Take your work seriously, but don't ever take yourself seriously. That's not what you do. It's, there's no advantage to that. You know, you're no big deal. And... Uh, you're part of the whole and, and give it the best shot you have every single day. Like when we go out on the court, we're, we're all business and ready to go. When we get off, all right, how can we help one another? How can I help one of my assistant coaches? How can the guys on the team help one of their teammates? Are they struggling in school? Are they struggling with a personal issue? Uh, you know, are they struggling in basketball? What are, how are they going to get out of it? How are they going to get out of that struggle? So, and everybody's going to hit some sort of difficulty along their, the, the way, along their path, you're going to hit some road bumps and how you get over those road bumps or around them or whatever you do, that's, that's going to be the sign of, of a long, well-lived life. Uh, because we're all, we're, none of us are escaping. Is it true that at first you weren't as interested in, in being a coach or making a career out of being a coach? Yeah, I didn't really have that as a, as a goal for me. And I, I think I've probably related that to you in, in a classroom situation because it's, it's, I, I oftentimes will say to those people in the classroom that we're, we're oftentimes busy trying to make things happen. And the reality is things are happening around you all the time. And if you pay attention to them, then you're going to, you're going to see something that really attracts your attention and you're going to, you're going to follow a different path. Uh, and, and life just does, it happens to you. You know, if you pay attention to it, it'll, it'll be really good to you. And so I, uh, that's probably the, the, the phraseology that I used, but it was one of those things where I was, you know, I was tending bar, I was playing golf every day. I was having a nice life for myself and my uh, my old high school came to me and said we 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 need a new basketball coach and my response immediately was well I, I think that's great I hope you get one <laughs> and they said no we want you and I said eh, you know not really it's not something I I really want to do and they said well you, you need some direction and I said well I don't I don't really want it I like my direction yeah I'm fine with, with where I am but I acquiesced and, and I'm glad that they they these two gentlemen uh, Jack McGuinn and Jim Stewart pushed me a little bit to do this and uh, and my life changed from that point on in so many different ways yeah so at what moment did coaching basketball go from being an acquiescence to this is my career uh probably after it, when i was a high school coach it was it was great i had some really good guys that i coached and uh, really they they brought me along and they took good care of me and then uh and then my one of my old teammates at LaSalle Lefty Irvin got the LaSalle job and he asked me to move from the high school level to the college level and then that's probably when it started that you know maybe i should i should really make this something greater than it is at this point it was sort of a uh you know, it was a whim in some ways, and then it became a, a, a professional pursuit. And I, I'm 
very appreciative of Lefty giving me that chance. Yeah. How intentional was it that your coaching career wound up keeping you in Philadelphia for 40 years? A little bit intentional in that I had left uh, to go to American University for five years in the early 80s. And then I got the chance to uh, Lefty Urban need. It was in uh, actually I coached in Lefty's first year with Lefty and I coached in Lefty's last year. And uh, so he had an opportunity to get me back. And we talked about it a little bit. And I said, you know, uh, by that time I had gotten married and my wife and I, you know, we were we bought a house in Philadelphia, even though I was living in, in half the time in, in uh, or most of the week in in, uh, in D.C. And so it worked out fine. And uh, but I came back to Philly, and and then I, I got a chance to move to Penn, and then uh, and then I got a chance to be the head coach at Penn, which was you know beautiful, yeah, a wonderful thing. So what was let's let's go there. So you spent you know the better part of shoot. Over a decade as an assistant coach, Penn comes with you the, with the opportunity to be a head coach. What goes through your mind? Well, they didn't necessarily come to me right away. I was I was an assistant coach. Uh, the head coach Tom Schneider left to go to the Loyola College of Baltimore, and then I was sitting there as an assistant, and uh, I wasn't the first, nor the second, nor the third choice. But they gave me the job in the end, and uh, I think for all of us as coaches. Uh, when we are an assistant coach, we think we have all the answers. We, we know exactly what kind of head coach we're going to be and the things that we're going to do. And I was given this wonderful opportunity. And about a month in, I said, what have I gotten myself in for? I, I'm, I'm clueless. And I think that's not only true of coaching, it's true of life. You know, whatever the, the, the steps that you take to finally get to what you think is sort of a pinnacle uh, along the way, you, you, don't, you don't really know. You don't know what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes or – you know, there, there's so the, there's there's so many of those uh, phrases that you know the buck stops here or it's lonely at the top. Uh, it's it's absolutely true. It is very lonely, and and if, if you do well, then everybody's in your corner, and if you don't, then everybody's after you. And but that's what you sign up for. You know that full well going in when you reach these levels of uh, of leadership, and uh, and it's probably more the leadership aspect than it is the coaching or head coaching pain. It's the leadership, and you've got to. You got to be available at everybody for everyone. Right. So were those were those challenges a surprise to you, or did you kind of see them coming as you came in? Uh, a little bit of each. I saw some of them, but I didn't see everything. Yeah. I don't think anybody's equipped to see everything. But but uh, it, it does grab you by the throat a little bit, and you you got to pay attention to it. And uh, so it, it was terrific, though. And uh, the learning experience part of it is great. But you need really good guys to come into your program, whether it's assistant coaches who help you. Or it's really good basketball players who get you over the top. Uh, it's like anything else. You're, you're probably not doing much all by yourself. It's not your great leadership. It's somebody else helping you along the way. And so that maybe goes back to the old man as well. He's, yeah. You know, it's not about you. Life yeah. is not about you. And that's what he taught us. That's that's great. So you experienced great success at, uh, at your time at Penn uh, in the Ivy League, many NCAA tournament appearances. And then in 2006 is when you became the head coach of Temple University, and that was right after John Cheney retired. So I read that you reached out to John Cheney and said that you would not take the job without his blessing. Why? Why not? Well, because uh, John Cheney is an icon in Philadelphia, and he had given this university everything he had for 24 years and did a phenomenal job, absolutely phenomenal job. So uh, to... 
succeed a guy like that, you want his okay. It's it would have been okay for me to get his okay. It would not have been okay had he said, you know what, friend, I, I'd, I'd rather it go to somebody else. And I had a wonderful job at the University of Pennsylvania. I could have stayed there forever if they would have had me. And uh, I would have been the luckiest guy I know. And then then I got a chance to to come here to Temple and, and just experience something different. You know, the missions of both institutions are different. And yeah, can you talk about They're both that? great. They're both great, the missions. Well, Mission of Penn is, is uh, you know, pretty well documented in that it's a it's a it's a university that is very powerful uh very important in certainly in the the country but also really important in in philadelphia it's the largest employer in philadelphia temple being second or third i'm not sure exactly where they are but temple's in a very similar spot in that regard uh, but this is a, a different kind of environment academically it's the school for the everyman we have honor students which you're familiar with. And we have some at-risk kids who are giving opportunities by this phenomenal university. We're, we're the school for everybody. And uh, we have everything. Not that Penn doesn't, that Penn has just about everything as well. But we have it a little bit differently. Uh, we have a great value to this education, which is so important in, in this city. Uh, we have a, like, you know, we have a dental school, a law school, a medical school that is so important. We have a health system that is very, very important. And, um, and, and we've sort of taken over that role of the public hospital in Philadelphia. So I oftentimes will talk about the hospital and the health system and how important it is to this city in that you could go up to the emergency room today and there would be 75 to 100 people in there, most without a whole lot of money and a lot without insurance. And Temple never turns anyone away. They put their arms around you and say, I'm going to heal you. We're going to heal you. We'll take care of you. Uh, is there a greater mission in life than that? And, uh, and to help others, that's what this place is all about. And uh, that's why I feel so, so grateful for my time here. Yeah. So what was the biggest surprise adjustment that you had to make when coming from coaching at Penn and then, you know, taking the reins from John Cheney and coming over to Temple? Well, I, I don't know that it was a. It would have been any different a surprise going from Penn to Temple as it would have been going from Penn to any other university. Sure. It, it's a change, and change is seen as difficult in in some ways. And and it was, you know, it, it was because I didn't know anything. About, I, I thought I knew a lot about Temple, and then I got here and discovered, like moving from an assistant to a head coach, you don't really know until you experience it. You got to get in somebody else's shoes, and so that's what I did for the first year or so, and. Uh, and I tell this story too, and I, I and I think it's important because life has changed even more dramatically than when I first got the job at at Temple. Uh, Mark Tyndale was our best basketball player, and I'm, so I, here I am. I'm, I'm taking this job from Coach Cheney, and and in Mark's first semester, he was ineligible to play because of academics. So in and in that. Uh, so when when it was announced, it was in the Inquirer, the Daily News, and Comcast Sportsnet, and on the ticker, the bottom ticker of ESPN, Mark Tyndale is ineligible to play in the first uh, for the first six games of his of his junior year. Well, that hurt. That hurt me. It hurt the team. It hurt Mark Tyndale. And uh, in that same semester that he couldn't play, he took four courses and he got four Bs in the class, as I recall. And so the message to the kids was now. When Mark didn't do so well, it was plastered all over the, the news media. Now, Mark did very, very well. And you know what was in the Inquirer and the Daily News and Comcast Sportsnet on the ticker of ESPN? 
Absolutely nothing. Nothing. No one reported it. We knew it, and we were impressed by it, and it was I was so happy for Mark. And then he came, and he had a rest of a, a good junior year, and he had a very good senior year, and led us back to the NCAA tournament. And uh, grateful for that. But I think that, that the message that you would give to people is that when it's not such a good thing, it's going to get reported on right away, and we don't we don't report. Uh, enough about the good things that happen although uh, and I mentioned it to our guys and I um, want to show them inspiring things often uh, the, the young man who was in the, the NBA G League for 10 years uh, got a chance finally to play with the Los Angeles Lakers for the last two games and it's a it's a, a very inspiring video uh, when you see it just but how this young man presents himself ironically enough played basketball at American University in DC uh, but how he presented himself to the coaching staff when he was given this opportunity he was so grateful and it was just a neat story and we don't report that enough uh, but, and, but social media uh, and there's a lot of really good stuff out there but they don't get as much attention as the the difficult times do and that's that's unfortunate yeah so so you mentioned you know Part of the thing that really intrigues me about student athletes is that they essentially have two more than full-time jobs. Uh, they, you know, they work so hard uh, to play for their team and to represent their university, and yet they're also there. They're getting an education primarily. So how do you how do you teach your players to be able to balance those two things, especially when they're on, under you know the national spotlight, the TV cameras are rolling? What's what's the go-to there? Well, I think when we first speak to them. Uh, we tell them what a fabulous life it is to be a college athlete. I mean, it's it's pretty fabulous. Uh, you get your scholarship. You get these days the young men are getting and women are getting paid money for their uh, for cost of attendance, uh, and it, it's a it's a nice little paycheck. And if you're from a if you happen to be from a disadvantaged background, you get pretty sizable Pell Grant monies and those kind of things. So uh, it's a good life that way. What it is not, however, and, and go back to the other, the, the good part about it is you get a chance to market yourself, brand yourself. You're on TV all the time. You get gear. You get everything. Uh, you, you get paid attention to a lot. People think you're a big deal. It's a great life, yet it's not an easy life. It is. It's work. It's you know three mornings a week getting up early to either go to a study hall or go to uh, lift weights or train or do that, and you, and you got to go to class all day, and you got to got to eat well. You got to provide for your body, and then you got to listen to a knucklehead like me fuss at you, fuss at you for two hours, <laughs> two and a half hours, and and then you play some really uh, difficult games. You get this the college basketball is hard. You, the, everybody's out there trying to do the same thing, and they're all trying to. Everybody's hoping that they can play in the NBA, and so they've got this great, uh, great goal that they want to reach and it's and the numbers tell you that it's probably not going to happen you know less than one percent of all these guys are going to go to the nba but yet they still have that dream and we need to feed that dream i think we need to re, uh, we throw a dose of reality in there but we also have to feed the dream so it's uh it's not an easy life it's it's work and that's it's a lot of time consuming not like every other student and if you mess up like mark tyndale did academically or somebody else might do on a on a, on a public in, in public somewhere, right. uh, you're going to get reported on and it's, it's not what you want. Yeah. You want the reports to, to say all good things and not maybe some, some difficult things, but that's, that's, uh, that's a, a nirvana and we're not a, in nirvana here. We're in reality. Right. So you famously have either learned or coached at four of the Philadelphia big five schools. 
So I want to ask a little bit about when you were a player at LaSalle uh, from, it was 1967 or 1970. Um, what was the dynamic of the Big Five back then? Well, it, it was similar, although uh, it wasn't exactly the same. Uh, the Big Five started in 1955, so it was sort of in its earlier days. Um, and I, I have to give so much of the credit of how the Big Five developed to those people who created it initially, uh, whether it was the athletic directors or the coaches or the administrators of the schools. They all got together and said, this is a great idea. Let's play all the games at the Palestra. And not only the Big Five games you played, but in those days you would, any uh, opposing team, you played at the Palestra. So games were Wednesday night, sometimes Friday night and Saturday night. And uh, it was a wonderful existence. And, and so as a person, uh, I got as a youngster to go to the Palestra to watch games. Then I got a chance to play at the Palestra uh, in the Big Five. And then I got a chance to coach in the Palestra at the University of Pennsylvania and then with Temple as well. We've played a number of games over the years at, uh, at the Palestra since I have been at Temple. But uh, the Palestra is as much a part of the Big Five as anything else is, uh, yet it's, it's, we've gotten away from it in recent years because everybody's doing their own thing. The reality is if you tried to create the Big Five in today's world, just create it. So let's say Chicago or L.A. or New York or any big metropolitan area has enough teams to start something like it. But college basketball has changed so dramatically that there's no way you could get all this done again. But what is a real tribute to Philadelphia is we are still doing it because the people who have come after those original people have said, you know what, this is a phenomenal thing. Let's never let it die. Yeah. So how is the dynamic these days between the Philadelphia Big Five coaches, you know, in a time of such national attention and such a national conscience around college basketball and, like you said, a lack of local focus? Mm -hmm. What's it like? Well, I don't, I don't know that there's a lack of local focus. I think there, there still is. It's just different. It's not lack of focus or it's not anything that is uh, uh, dramatically different. So, for example, uh, last weekend we were recruiting, and uh, I, Jay Wright and I sat in one area for one game, and then Zach Spiker and I sat in another area, and then Bruiser Flint and I sat in another area, uh, and then – uh, if John Giannini was there, I would have sat with him. But I did sit with Ashley Howard, who just took the job. And if Phil Martelli was there, I would have sat with him. And if Steve Donahue was there, I would have sat with him. So we, wherever we go, we sit together. We do different things. And some of that is because when you join the Big Five, you know you've joined something unique. And your personality is not going to dominate over what is already uh, been established. Uh, so for us, it's perfect. We, we all get along. Do we want to beat the pants off of one another? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, but we all get along and we all respect one another. And I think that's a given when you join the organization. So th the other thing that has probably galvanized us even further is our coaches versus cancer program. So most recently we had a big gala and, uh, and Jay couldn't attend because Jay was uh, visiting with the Pope, which is pretty cool. Wow. And uh, so we were all jealous. We're jealous of his recent success, but we're all jealous that he got this great opportunity to sit and uh, hang out with the pontiff for a little bit, which is <laughs> yeah. a pretty neat thing. So, But again, we, we all do this work together, and, uh, and it's an important fact uh, for a feature for us to, to really 
make as good as we can. I think we're right now we're at the top of the list in terms of the of uh, all the other NCAA schools raising money and and but we should be at the top. We got six of us and uh, and we have a great city that is very kind and generous and uh, and and very accommodating to us. So we should be the best. Right. So you mentioned uh, Jay Wright's recent success. At the time of this recording, Villanova is just coming off their second national championship in three years. And the Big Five was also created the year after LaSalle brought home the national title. So do you think that there is a difference in feeling in the Big Five after one of the teams takes home the championship? You know, and I, I don't think so. I think this is still the, the generic fan is still rooting for Philadelphia. Now, are there Temple fans that would rather see Temple win or St. Joe fans and Penn fans and what have you and so on. Yeah, there are. And, uh, uh, and, and a number of years ago, we tried to have a triple header at the Palestra with all six teams participating. And everybody thought that we were going to sell out every ticket for every game. Well, the games were sold out. But when the Villanova game, game was on, the Villanova people watched and then they left. Either they didn't come for the first game or didn't stay for the last game, and that was true of the other schools too. It it wasn't quite you know there wasn't eighty seven, oh seven generic fans there, but th- that's just the way that I think the game has evolved. Now the TV has changed everything dramatically. So back when I was a kid and playing, uh, there was not TV every game. There was a lot of TV though, but it wasn't the it wasn't the same. There wasn't ESPN. It was a local TV station. It was black and white TV. It was it wasn't the uh, the the festive atmosphere that it is today. With your public persona, um, it seems that to you, fame, attention, and accolades are really not that important. Ironically, you handle the fame and the attention with such grace that you are famous for that fact, (laughs) if anything makes you more famous. Uh, Is that something that you had to learn to deal with at first, or did you find that you naturally had a propensity to, to stay humble and to not let, you know, the fame go to your head. Well, I appreciate what you're saying, Kev, but I, I, uh, we've had a nice run of, of, of success over the years. And that, that's been great. Certainly not to my doing, but we've had some really good players, but it, you know, again, it goes back to the thought of take your work very, very seriously, but don't, don't take yourself serious. It's, you know, if, if we're removed from the situation, everything's going to go on. It's not like life's going to stop. Everything's going to go on. And when I, when I leave Temple basketball, Temple basketball will be in great hands and somebody else will do it great. And, and, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're here, we're just really here for a cup of coffee, you know, and when that coffee's over, you know, walk away and, uh, appreciate, what has happened to you and and hopefully you've done your job as well as you possibly could and you're not going to please everybody you're never going to be perfect but do it the best way you can and and life will be okay and that's another lesson that we we try to teach to these guys if you're truly a good human being and you work really hard and you understand how to build relationships and be good to one another you'll be a success you may not have uh, millions of dollars all the time but you you'll be a success and life will be good for you but appreciate what it is that you have and uh, don't worry about what it is you don't have, but don't ever take yourself real serious. Yeah. So I'd like to ask you a couple questions that I ask uh, all my guests just to get different, you know, perspectives of them, of Philadelphia, maybe compare them a little bit. Um, So what do you think is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today? You know, when, when you see poverty hit and we, and we're talked about as a, as a city that has great, great poverty, well, that that bothers me. It bothers, uh, I think, it bothers the growth of 
of where we can be as, as a city because I think so many great things about this, this area because we have everything. We have great location. We have, uh, again, some, some wonderful uh, educations and uh, hospitals are fantastic. And again, we have a player like a, like a Comcast. I, I marvel at uh, Independence Blue Cross and all the things they've done for the city and a simple thing like the Broad Street Run, and you see forty thousand people running up and down Broad Street. That's Philadelphia. That's that's what it's all about. Our pro pro teams and our college teams and all of those things are are critical. I think our arts and our culture is just off the charts. And uh, you know, a, a typical. We had a, a kid come in and visit the other day, and uh, I said you can you can sometimes you can change Temple University to Diversity University if you want to, because I think we are a very diverse atmosphere and 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 culture, and and this city is great diversity in it. And again, are we perfect? No, we're not. But we're every day we're fighting to get to perfection. And I think we're getting better every day. And I, I think there's some really good leaders in this city that care deeply about uh, about it. We want to be the best. And, uh, and, and I think we think of ourselves as right up at the top. And again, we don't think of ourselves as perfect, but I think we, we think we, we have a lot to offer. So if you want to come to, to a great environment and great city to live in, Philadelphia is your choice. Yeah. So if you were to be given a billboard where you can put anything on your anything you want on it and it, a message or whatever and all Philadelphians would see it what do you think you'd put on it Yeah I don't know that I would put any words on it I'd just put a picture on it and and have the diversity of this city on there and represent as much as we can about what this the, the neighborhoods and the and again the cultures and the and the colors that we all are and I think we we have just everything we possibly need, and 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 the the location that we are is uh, we're not New York, and we we don't want to be New York. We just want to be Philadelphia. We're not DC, but we're in in between the the two of them, and and I think we have uh, everything that you would want in a city. I think we have here. We can get to the Jersey Shore. We can go to the mountains. We can fly on a plane anywhere. We got we've got a great. Uh, uh, our, our convenience to center city by our airport is as good as it gets. We right on the rail system that, that seemingly is uh, the, the best uh, financial gain for the Amtrak system uh, in this rail system that we have here. But, so we're, I think we have everything uh, and, and hopefully others recognize that. Yeah. So if you could send a message to your past self, whether when you were a player at LaSalle, a burgeoning assistant coach, maybe even sooner, would you? And if so, what would you say? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say a lot of the things I just said to you. Like, don't ever take yourself serious. Uh, you don't have all the answers. You can always work harder. Uh, you can always give more. You know, what else can you do? I mentioned it to our team yesterday. Uh, who amongst us thinks that they are really good at giving back to the community? And, uh, and nobody raised their hand. And, and I, I thought that was a real positive and, and who amongst us thinks that they can give more? And they all raise their hand. So it's it's that kind of thing. And I think uh, that's what I would tell myself, that you've got to do more. You've got to be more available for people. Uh, and I think, I, I think I'm okay at it. I think I try to be as available. So when Kevin calls me up and says, I want you to be on the podcast, <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. But it's not about me. It's about you. I want to do this for you. And I want to do it for somebody else who – who thinks it's worthwhile, you know, and, uh, 
I want to do it for Will Bubinek, who I did it for last week or whatever. And uh, so it, it, it's important to give back. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty lucky. And I oftentimes will say it that I've been as lucky a guy as, as I know, and I, I can't keep it all. I got to give the luck back somehow, some way. And, and, uh, but I hope that's in the, trying to make the impression on the students that I have in the classroom or the players that I coach or anybody else I come in contact with is, you know, you got to do more. You taught a class at Penn. You now teach here at Temple, along with Professor Lynn Anderson. Uh, not a lot of NCAA coaches do that, actually have a class where they, where they lecture. Why is that so important to you? Well, I think that it gives you the, the benefit of getting outside your comfort zone a little bit. There's a, there's a number of benefits. I think get out of this office if I do it for, you know, 9.30 to 10.50 every Tuesday and Thursday morning. But I get a chance to see what everybody else is doing on campus, the, the bustle and the hustle on campus and see how the changing of classes and the, the conversations that are going on and the buzz on campus. It gives me a chance to see what our students, our players have to go through in a typical classroom setting. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I learn from somebody else. And if, uh, you know, when I, when I do stop, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be here on campus a lot of days and maybe I'll, uh, I'll audit a class. So I'll, I'll take Italian because my mother was Italian and my grandmother lived with us and, and she would, they would both speak Italian so often. And like a stunad, I never paid attention back in the day. And I'd like to learn it. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to, to, to learn a language that's different, you know, and, and, uh, and maybe when I do visit Italy the next time I can, I can, uh, order some food or ask for some help somehow, some way. But I think uh, that my advice to all of my coaching brethren would be, that there's somebody on your campus like a Lynn Anderson who would say, you know, why don't we co-teach this or just and talk about life. And that, that's what it is. Uh, really, that's what we're teaching is life management, leadership, whatever it is. It's really about life and building relationships uh, that somebody on those campuses would do that with them. And I, I would I would in, I would encourage them every day because it puts you in a different situation. And you know what? I, I think there's plenty of people out there who say, you know what? He's not just sitting in his office all day. He's kind of getting a feel and a flavor of the university. And let's face it, without those students that are walking up and down, there's no need for me to be on the university because without them, uh, I'm, I'm lost. I'm nowhere. I'm no one really, to be honest with you. I'm so grateful for it. Uh, being on a college campus for all these years, it's, it's made me a better person. For more on Coach, you can head to podphillyhoo.com forward slash Dunphy. That's D-U-N-P-H-Y. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate it on iTunes and tell some friends. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at podphillyhoo. Music by Lee Rosevere. Artwork by Lauren Carhart. For Philly Who, I'm Kevin Schmidlin. See you next week.